0: Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. You That's Jack. And Joe Getty.
1: Joey Baby. I love you, tiny people. Armstrong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So
0: it's a hustle.
1: Yeah, it's a hustle. And now, here's
0: Armstrong and It's taking three times longer to clear vessels at the ports compared to before the pandemic. And the Long Beach port is already working 24 seven. Matt Schrapp, CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association, says working 24 seven won't solve everything. The best estimates that I've heard, this could be something that will be well into next Christmas, to be honest with you.
1: Next Christmas, not this Christmas. Things aren't going to get back to normal till next Christmas.
0: Wait, what? Holy cow.
1: It's another seafaring infrastructure Monday here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Y'arr, tis. We've uh, we've done some uh, research and found that the young people love talk about ports.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Containers, cranes, the whole longshoreman. Are you kidding me? So one way to bring more young
1: people to AM talk radio is port talk. I did a bit of a deep dive on ports. Yes. Spurred on somewhat by that ABC story, which I thought, this is feeling different. What is it about this that's feeling different? Ah, this is actually useful information that affects everybody's lives, as opposed to 90% of the stuff you do on these talk shows that doesn't affect anybody's life.
0: Wow. I totally misunderstood your idea over the weekend. I've assembled all sorts of interesting information on sweet fortified dessert wines ports i I totally dropped i'm so sorry back
1: when i drank i never could stomach port it's just not my thing it's a sipper you gotta sip it i'm not a sipper i'm a chugger so maybe that's the wrong thing for me no good no good so martha radich right there had a good camera shot if you haven't seen it if you're not from the area of the ships that are backed up out into the ocean as far as the eye can see around the long beach port and the la port i noticed this when i was driving to uh, across the bay bridge to the Giants-Dodgers game. I'd never seen so many of those great big tanker ships out in the bay. And I was—I I didn't really put two and two together at the time. I'm all excited. I'm wearing a baseball cap and I'm going to a game. But, yeah, the reason I see so many ships is they're just stuck there. They can't get in. They can't get unloaded for all kinds of different reasons. There aren't enough people to unload them. There's too many ships in the way to unload them. There aren't any trucks to put the stuff on. There aren't enough truck drivers to drive the trucks. I mean, it's just a, a compounding problem. But particularly for the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, those two ports account for 40% of U.S. shipping containers in the entire country. Wow. 40% come through those two ports. Now, it's a little a little squishy when you're looking at the biggest ports in the world because the port of Long Beach and L.A., you can see them from each other. Sure, seems like you could practically count those as one port to me, but for all kinds of different reasons, they don't. But I just... I just thought it was kind of interesting as I was going into a deep dive on ports last night cuz that's the kind of fun guy I am. Um 7 of the 10 biggest ports in the world are in China. 7 of the 10 biggest ports are in China. And wow. something like 18 of the top 20. I mean, so they just dominate in terms of shipping cheap crappy good all <laughs> goods are all around the world and and having stuff shipped in. Um but they measure it all by TEUs. And a TEU is a measurement of those big containers that you've seen on there, they're 20 feet long. So each one of those is a TEU. The, totally the,
0: excellent unit.
1: Exactly. Um, And to just give you an idea, the largest transport ship in the world can hold 24,000 of those. Wow. So, now, the other ships aren't quite as big, but that gives you an idea just of uh, in, how big a deal it can be to unload one of those ships. So if that one, the HMM Algericus, comes into port, 24,000 containers... It would take a line of semi-trucks 90 miles long just to unload that one ship. Holy crappings. That is a lot of semi-trucks, and we don't have the drivers or the trucks right now. Plus, the price of fuel is really, really high. Forgot to throw
0: that in there on terms of cost and delay and everything else that's going on. Well, and remember the infamous AB5 in California Assembly Bill Five crushed independent trucking in the state. That was legislation, yeah. but keep voting for the same party. Go so ahead. it is unfortunate that
1: forty percent of the uh, containers come through a state where it's made it impossible to uh, to do trucking, but. You got about 10 million of those containers that went through the part of Los Angeles last year. About 8 million in Long Beach. Uh, the biggest port in the world, Shanghai, 42 million of those containers go through every single year. Just dwarfs anything we do in the United States. Which is really pretty, pretty interesting, I thought, just from a, a size of China's economy, uh, standpoint. Well um,
0: importance as an exporter too. Yeah. I mean
1: and um and you you heard this last week on the Armstrong and Getty Show, but a year ago it would take it would cost about thirteen hundred dollars to transport one of those containers across the country. It now costs sixteen thousand dollars per. Oh, so it's going enough. from thirteen hundred dollars oh. to transport a container to sixteen thousand.
0: Not a joke. Yikes I don't care if you're buying cars or phones or or, or or dopey toys that your kid will play with for a day then forget at Christmas time that's going to add a heck of a lot per unit
1: oh my god yes I mean it's just it's unimaginable so you add all those things together uh the supply and demand the cost of transport and the fuel costs the the the, the delay the, the everything um who knows what prices of some of these goods are going to be what you could charge for them and still sell them in your you know target in Milwaukee? When you finally
0: get stuff on your shelf and the scarcity, who knows what the prices are going to be? Well, at least we have dynamic young leadership to deal with it in the White House, Jack. Get first, you're the slap out of Oh,
1: boy. Uh, so anyways, you heard that one guy say it could be next Christmas before this starts to get in line. Let's hear a little bit from this guy who is the Long Beach executive director of the port there and what he thinks it's go- uh, a little bit about the um, the size of the problem right now. I have never seen anything like this. This is actually one of the smaller ships. The largest ships in service today can carry up to 24,000 container units. And what would that mean in terms of goods? That could fill three shopping malls. And uh, a little more from him.
0: Was this something that just wasn't
1: planned for? Well, the pandemic had the effect of impacting every segment of the supply chain. When manufacturing was shut down in Asia, we had very little business here. Starting in July, we noticed this surge, this tsunami of cargo. So we went from doom and gloom to fast and furious on a term of a dime. And that caught the supply chain off guard. And for whatever reason, and Pete Buttigieg, the um, transportation secretary, was asked about this yesterday, for whatever reason, reason, even though you could see it coming somewhat, they didn't get ahead of it. Uh, they didn't get ahead of it.
0: So he's back from his, what, like six weeks off for to tend to his new kids? Yeah. Um, and as you heard that Boot guy, edge, edge. as the transportation secretary, we can't get him like a nice nanny and he can, you know, work some half days or something? In the midst of the biggest
1: supply chain interruption in anybody's lifetime... Yeah, he was he was uh, taking care of his new baby. But anyway, yeah, I want to talk more about that later. Uh, a couple of gay fellers
0: having a baby—is that what's bothering you? <laughs> wow, you are you just are you getting paid per word you put in my mouth today, or what? What is it with you? I don't know. If I feel like saying something, I'll say it. I'm not your puppet. I How dare I you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Trying
1: to create controversy where there is none. I don't know yeah, why I'm doing that. Great, super. Um. So as you heard there, each one of those ships can have several malls full of stuff in it. And instead of them being unloaded and that stuff making its way across the country to be in the stores in time for, you know, uh, the, the day after Thanksgiving, which is just a couple of weeks ago, they're just sitting out there in the water, just sitting there. There's no there's no place to dock them. There's no trucks to put them in. There's no drivers to drive the trucks, even if you did. And even if you got all that taken care of, it costs more than 10 times, like 12 15 times what it normally costs to get them across with the price of gas and supply and demand and everything else. So who knows what things are going to cost in the mall if you can get them at all come Christmas time? Kids, right. this is going to affect Santa this year. Oh, yeah. Santa's going to be, oh, surly. Surly Santa.
0: In <laughs> a bad mood, bad frame of mind. Rudolph bit a guy yesterday. It's, it's unverified report, but <laughs> the reindeer are stressed.
1: I don't yeah. know. I, 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 so, Based on taking in all that information and just looking at the different ports around the country and how many ships are sitting off, uh, just sitting out there in the water, just I mean, it's it's crazy where we are just at the very beginning of this story.
0: Well, now that you set it up and, and brought all those factors to us, it's clear that that estimate that maybe by next Christmas we'll have this straightened out, I mean, that strikes me as fairly realistic. It's going to take so long to unknot this. Meanwhile, the usual commerce that goes on will continue to go on. It's not like the world will come to a stop so the Port of Los Angeles can, can get its, uh, you know, poo together.
1: Yeah, everybody keeps talking about toys because that is, um you know, got such an emotional component to it if, if stuff's unavailable in the stores, but we're all using the same amount of toilet paper and toothpaste and, and you know, shoes and just anything you can think of comes through in those ships. I mean, everything, look around whatever room you're in right now, all that stuff, 90% of goods come uh, on a ship uh, in the world. So just everything you can think of is going to be way, way backed up. I'm just, I am was at the story yesterday, like, I, I'm, as an American, I'm not used to supply chain interruptions. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to make me really... Amazed that my whole life, if I go to the grocery store, whatever particular item it is that I like, there's always a
0: couple of them there. No Soviet-style empty shelves here. They
1: just, you know, they've got such a, they've got it so nailed down in anticipating how much is going to get used at various times of the year, various stores and locations. Like my heavy cream that I drink for my coffee, it's never in the store anymore. Never. It's just, it's just, huh. if it, if it arrives, I get lucky. I, I buy all three that are there. Well, that's that's crazy. I mean, because that's from domestic cows, yeah, right? Yeah, that's a domestic thing, not a China yeah. shipping thing. But just it's just never there. The particular lunar bo- Luna bars my son likes, n- always out, every single time. Every hmm. once in a while, there'll be some, and I buy them all. And I think everybody else does the same thing, so that when you go in,
0: there, there are none there. Wow, Luna bar roulette.
1: But the sort of thing you just never think of in the past.
0: Well, there, this is Joe Biden's America. Tragic health
1: care. But as they're talking about it, compounds on itself because back in the old days, I would have bought one container of my cream and a couple of Luna bars. But now you buy all of them because you know they're going to be out, and everybody's doing that, and it just compounds itself in terms of the supply chain
0: problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Whoops. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: I'm calling it the Tiger King Curse. Huh. Things are starting to befall the cast members from that TV show. Gee, I wonder why. Was okay. the cause of death Carol Baskin? <laughs> no, it was uh, exactly what you'd expect: uh, drug and alcohol abuse. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that getting eaten by tigers, or just general moronity. It's I call it the Tiger King curse. He
0: died of being a moron. Excessive moronity. Oh Carol boy. Baskin. Killed her husband, whacked him. Can't convince me
1: that it didn't happen. Fed him to tigers, they snacking. What's happening? Carol Baskin. What's happening?
0: There you go. You know, all right. I just did something stupid. What is the matter with me today? <sighs> as stupid
1: as moving to Oklahoma to work for Joe Exotic
0: <laughs> and all his stumpy friends? You know that's a good point. No, not nearly that stupid. uh here i I navigated away accidentally from a, a website I really needed. uh, there we go. You're missing Here's,
1: an arm. you're missing two legs. What's going on
0: around here? i I moved to Oklahoma to work for a meth crazed self aggrandizing road roadside zoo. <laughs> gay biker mustache sportin' fur-wearing would be fake singer zoo owner. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Uh, here's your freedom loving quote of the day. Ah, why can't I'm trying to find you know where is my constitution? There it is. How long does that take? We, here's your freedom, love, and quote of the day, going back to the founding documents. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Could have gone with the Declaration of Independence uh, in honor. Of Tim Santafer is going to be on the show later. He's written a fabulous book about uh, how the founding documents taken as a whole really explain the country and not just the Constitution.
1: Well, the main reason we're having Tim on is to defend Thomas Jefferson, which will explain why that needs to happen in the next
0: segment. All right. Mailbag. Bye. Yeah. Hey, guys, writes uh, Gary, some religious zealots are objecting to vaccinations by claiming they are developed using fetal tissues. Interesting, Gary. Oh, right, right,
1: right, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I completely forgot about that. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Now, that makes then, sense. Then we got this note from uh, John, who's always angry and hates us, but continues to listen to the show for some reason. Idiots 101, Religious Exemption 101, the use of child MBOs in VAX. I think there's an R in there somewhere, John, but thank you for your always angry, angry emails. I pity you, sir. That is the reason. I can't believe that flitted out of my mind. Ken in Taiwan writes, evidently he's just gotten around to the podcast where I disclose that I, Joe Getty, have uh, ancestors who are slaveholder, And indeed, uh, some some of the leaders of the secession which is odd and 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 funny because I also have an ancestor who was Lincoln's secretary of war. So anyway, uh, read people who apologize profusely about their ancestor being a slave owner. You are not to blame for the wrongdoings of another person. What if your ancestor was a Nazi? What if your parent was a criminal? Ben Affleck didn't need to apologize for his ancestors owning slaves, but he does need to apologize for being a douche. Best regards, Ken in Taiwan. Who wrote from a world away to express that sentiment?
1: Have you seen the trailer yet for the new Ben Affleck, Ben, uh, Matt Damon movie? The, the jousting movie?
0: No, sir. The I last have not. duel?
1: God, you gotta watch that trailer. It looks like the greatest movie of all time. It looks fantastic. It's a Ridley wow. Scott thing. Wow. Who's done a, a
0: bunch of epics that have I been I do amazing. enjoy a good joust. How about this on the topic of Pete Butt Edge Edge? Edge Edge, they say. Uh, taking months off or six weeks because he and his husband adopted a couple of little kids. Uh, bah, 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 bah. It reminds me of a story I read, writes uh, M, in Ayan Hirsi Ali's autobiography, Infidel. She wrote about her grandmother in rural Somalia. My mother, Asha, was born sometime in the 1940s, along with her identical twin sister. My grandmother gave birth to them alone under a tree. They were her third and fourth children. She was about 18, leading her goats and sheep to pasture when she felt the pains. She lay down and bore forth. Then she cut the umbilical cord with her knife. A few hours later, she gathered together the goats and sheep, managed to bring the herd home safely before dark, carrying her newborn twins. Nobody was impressed by the exploit. She was only bringing home two more girls. Uh, Mr. Buttigieg has a very important post in the government of the United States. I fully agree with your question. Can't we get him a nanny or someone to help out? Um.
1: Boot Edge Edge! Yeah,
0: I want to talk about this later. I, I, I like the idea of spending time to, you know, take care of the baby and the rest of it, but. It's awesome. The idea that you necessarily must disappear from, for two months from your very important job during a time of crisis seems crazy and self-indulgent and soft. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now he is Armstrong and Getty. At long last, the presidential commission on the Supreme Court, which was looking into the idea of court packing, etc. As progressive America freaked out when Donald J. got to appoint three different justices and now it's a pretty solid six to three conservative majority. Although I would point out that it is not anything, it's not within a million miles of the dystopian fascist nightmare that we're promised it will be. Every time a Brett Kavanaugh rears his ugly head or an Amy Coney Barrett emerges from her her bat cave of conservative hate to assume a seat on the bench. Now, these people are quite reasonable, and and, and several of them, including Roberts, Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh himself, often end up being quite moderate in the rulings. But anyway... Progressive America freaked out and demanded that we uh we pack the court, which is uh, one of the few things FDR did that even the liberals of the time said, that's evil. We're not doing that. So great grandpa Joe Biden uh, appointed a commission to look into the idea, and they came back reporting the stunningly obvious, practically a transcript of every discussion we've had on this show about the. uh the topic, although they did add a couple of things that I found interesting. Uh, They released their first report yesterday afternoon suggesting that an expansion of the court would be unlikely to achieve balance and instead recommended the rotation of justices. Quote, there are also reasons to doubt that court expansion necessarily would produce benefits in terms of diversity of efficiency whatever that means, there is no guarantee that a larger court would be drawn from a more diverse group of individuals, and a larger court may be less efficient than the current complement of justices. In other words, don't do it. Uh, The commission also pointed other risks to expanding the court, including recent polling that indicates the public does not favor court expansion, while noting that expanding the court could lead to, quote, a continuous cycle of future expansions, as we pointed out. Quoting the report now, To be sure, any Supreme Court reform would likely require unified government. Nevertheless, we believe it is important to recognize the risk. According to one purportedly modest estimate of the consequences of expansion, as parties gain Senate majorities and add justices, the Supreme Court could expand to 23 or 29 justices in the next 50 years, and 39 or possibly 63 justices over the next next century. The idea being... So, uh... The lefties get control. Conservatives have this alleged six to three majority. Well, it isn't a six to three majority. Well, they figure, all right. Well, we got to add at least—I uh, don't know. Let's do the math. Four, four justices to the current nine, uh, so we have a uh, seven to six majority. That's thirteen. It's so a non-number perfect. We're adding four. Then the conservatives win back power. Republican Party to the extent that it's conservative anymore. They're thinking, wait a minute, seven to six, no way, no way. We need to. Uh, we're just going to add a couple. All we want's an eight to seven. And before you know it, as they point out, you got sixty-three justices. They're all they're like crammed into some basketball stadium. takes them months and months and months to rule on anything. It's just a terrible idea. Uh, one idea floated by the commission that I found kind of interesting as an alternate to expansion. Is a rotation system, which would see judges rotate between service on the Supreme Court and in lower federal courts, like your circuit courts. I thought that was interesting, but the report also noted such a reform could face a constitutional obstacle, noting that Article 3, Section 1 of the Constitution states the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such interior courts as Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. So anyway. Uh, the court packing thing is dead. It is gone. Goodbye. Rest in peace. You, it was idiotic uh, to begin with. Do you
1: know who Conor McGregor is? I don't watch the UFC fighting, but I still know who Conor McGregor is. And he's the most famous UFC fighter ever. And he boxed once for real. He had a whiskey. Made six hundred million dollars when he sold his whiskey. I think some just insane amount of money. It's so dumb.
0: There's plenty of whiskey, and a lot of it's pretty good. But his, uh, you give it to consumers. What are you gonna do? His
1: whole act when he came became famous was to act like he was unhinged, like he was a crazy person, and it was kind of cool and funny. But it turns out, it apparently, he is unhinged and a crazy person, and he punches people every now and then. And he's and he's and he's lost quite a bit of money over punching people every, every now and then. Over the weekend, yesterday. In Rome, so in the morning he had his son baptized at the Vatican. Pretty cool if you're Catholic to have your son baptized at the Vatican. But um, later he's at a party and he's hanging out with this Italian DJ and they hung out for hours, according to the DJ. Of course, uh, DJs deserve to be punched before I get any further. Most DJs should get a good punch. <laughs> but anyway, so this DJ says they're partying and just hanging out and having fun and their wives together and everything like that. And Conor McGregor just punches him in the nose out everywhere. Out of nowhere, breaks his nose. He goes over backwards. He's oh. on the floor. He's bleeding everywhere. Then all of Conor McGregor's um, helpers got a hold of Conor McGregor and got him out the door right away. He's one of those guys. And I have I've known people like this. That there's just something that's a switch that goes off in their head that they want to punch someone Hmm. when they're drunk. Yeah. And he appears to be one of those people, which means he probably shouldn't be out and about.
0: Well, uh, a lot of the greatest fighters, whether it's boxers or the MMA guys, are motivated by anger deep within them. Mm. And, and that's why they want to get really good at it. Not all of them. No, but they have that boiling anger. I got to mention, just to be
1: fair, that of course he is a target for this sort of thing and, uh, That's
0: just the DJ's side of the story. So who knows? An Italian DJ. Have you seen the Tower of Pesce? It's beautiful. It leans. Uh. What's with the Pope? Uh? <laughs> I see the Pope walking around. Uh. He's wearing slippers. Uh. It's raining. Uh. Who wears slippers when it's raining? 30% uh. chance of salvation. Uh. <laughs> All right, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> couple of notes on the youngsters, if we have time for this. I'm not sure. I was reading a piece in the dispatch about the uh, the worker shortage and how many fields uh, of endeavor are short of workers and, and not just not enough workers, but not enough good workers and some of the skills gaps and that sort of thing it's, it's pretty interesting it's tough to get a handle on but boy this really struck me the writer says last but in my view probably the most important factor in our labor mismatch is the other less talked about skills gap namely the shortage of non-cognitive or soft skills Employers frequently complain about the shortage workers with the critical thinking, teamwork, and communication skills needed for an economy that is increasingly driven by tasks that require extensive collaboration among workers. Ah, if you think, I go ahead. I know so little about
1: this stuff because I don't have a normal job. I don't know what, I don't know what normal people are doing out there in the normal world. Why is there more of this sort of stuff going on in the past?
0: Is it's all computer stuff or? You know, I don't know that there is. He states that there is, uh, but let me, let me finish the paragraph and then I'll jump into what I think about this. If you think it's hard to train IT professionals, try training workers who have never learned the interpersonal skills of working and getting along with others. Non-cognitive skills accumulate slowly over time, beginning in inf- infancy and develop through family, schools, and other community institutions. Those soccer leagues for five-year-olds your kids belong to, that's workforce preparation writ small and adorable. And adorable. I'm, I'm not sure I agree. You don't think it's adorable? No. Little kids in their cleats and their... The level of soccer is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they wearing cleats? The, They're five years old. Their execution is is abysmal. No, I, what I was going to say is, and and it's handy to have been born into and grown up in a world where there are very few organized activities. And most play is free play. And then observing a world where it's evolved to many, many kids, most play is organized play to the extent, most, maybe all to the extent I was going to say almost excluding free play completely. And what the point is, and, and we've talked about this before, but I think it may be the most important truth societally going on right now. If you send kids out and say, go play, they will invent a game, they will invent a set of rules, they will argue over those rules, they will informally and subconsciously form a committee. They will choose a chairperson. Someone will emerge. There will be enforcement of those rules. There will be violations of those rules, and there will be negotiations how to deal with it. It is a master class. It would take 50 years to teach it in a classroom setting. That's really interesting. Your kids get from free play. I certainly never thought of all those things when I was doing it as a kid. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But your brain is absorbing lessons about cooperation Mm. and humans and the differences between humans. One guy loses his temper. One guy just rolls his eyes and wanders away. And you're learning all the time as opposed to a bunch of adults telling you where to go and what to do. We
1: would play two-on-two softball. The real negotiation was how far apart the bases had to be to make it work for two-on-two. Because they got to be really far apart. Oh, sure. To have time for the guy to get to the ball and have any chance of ever getting anybody out.
0: <laughs> well, right, right. And we played various three base games or two base or whatever it is, varying, you know, all right, that tree is a double or whatever. Um, I just, I think that's so important. And I see it in, uh, little girls. My uh, nieces engage in a lot of free play, uh, and they play together a lot. They're close in age. Terrible. And you got to have rules. You have to have structure. You need to have Uniforms. Adults. Of course.
1: Of course uniforms.
0: Yes. You know, very important. Uh And I just, uh, you know, if I could beg of you to do one thing, folks, it's, you know, let your kids play freely and invent freely. Less structure, more free play. And I think that's what they're talking about here. Hmm. I mean, the kids, uh, people talk about staring at their phones. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to make a phone call or, or, or speak up for themselves in a meeting. I think it goes deeper than that.
1: That is really interesting. That could actually be uh, 100% true. And the sort of thing that you know, we
0: just missed as a society. Whoops, that we got that one wrong. Well, I'd write a book on it, but I have a tea time this afternoon. Yeah, I'm a man who craves leisure. a lot of things to do. Right. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Let's get underway now officially according to FCC Rules and Regs at Mark.
1: They're going to help kick this thing off. All right, guys, ready? In three, two, one.
0: Start your engine. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> little kids starting a, uh, a car race. And the one little kid throws in let's go, Brandon, at the end. Come on. And this You'll- is all from uh, an
1: F. Joe Biden chant at a race where the announcer either misunderstood it or was yes. covering. You think she was covering. I
0: think yeah, she the misunderstood. The reporterette that. said, yeah, you can hear the fans chant, let's go, Brandon. Uh, the guy who won the race being named Brandon. So that was a convenient way for her to remain on the air and finish the interview, uh, in my opinion. But it doesn't really matter. That's become a euphemism now for F. Joe Biden. And if future uh, historians will be looking back on this period and see signs and T-shirts. For instance... At ArmstrongandGetty.com, you can get an Armstrong and Getty "Let's Go Brandon" T-shirt right now. It's available. Uh So historians will say, "Who was this Brandon? Why was everybody so encouraging toward him?" Fantastic, fantastic. Um, we, but I, we need this. We need this sort of thing, don't we? <laughs> In the modern world, the troubled, troubled modern world. I don't know. The level of discourse we've got now is just—we're—we're—we're we're, we're, we're doomed. We're
1: absolutely doomed. I just, I just uh, I'm not <laughs> on board with Mr. the F Joe Biden. Sunshine.
0: <laughs> I'm not on board with the F Joe, F
1: whoever's president chance at stadiums all across America. We're never going to get anywhere this way.
0: Oh, no, I think, I think that's awful. It's, uh, first of all, I don't appreciate the obscenities. Um, I just think the, le- <laughs> but here's my delight. This is my only delight. Read no more into my delight than the words that follow. I think it's hilarious that Let's Go branded" has become a euphemism for it. That's it. I just think it's funny. Human beings are funny when they're not being horrifically ugly. So time.com is uh, often terrible lately. It's the website version of a an old magazine, kids. Way back when, when Grandma and Grandpa were young and the magma was just forming the crust of the earth, <clears throat> people used to print out websites on paper and mail them around. We call them magazines. <laughs> Time is uh, mostly irrelevant at this point. Not the concept, but the magazine slash website.
1: <laughs> yeah, the concept is every bit as relevant as ever. Um,
0: <laughs> anyway, well, this t- is rather a long preamble. Well,
1: Time Magazine will be announcing their man of the year here in the next oh, month or so.
0: Stupid, and- please. Don't even tell me about it. <laughs> don't even bother me. <laughs> if I'm doing anything as important or more important than, for instance, urinating, I don't want to hear it. Don't interrupt me. On the other hand, man, did I find this compelling. It's about a guy by the name of Desmond Shum and his ex-wife, Whitney Duan, both Chinese. Um, she, she especially super important business magnate in China. All right. They're divorced. They have a son. It's been four years since she vanished in China. And he called her phone hundreds of times. The line was always dead. But that changed last month when he received frantic messages from her after four years saying, call me. Oh, boy. Holy cow. Yeah. So he calls and she picks up. What? You'd have a heart attack. All right. And she says, please don't publish your book. His book being Red Roulette, an insider's story of wealth, power, corruption, and vengeance in today's China. This was a four-year gap, though? Yes. He tried to reach out. He tried to contact her. It's the mother of his son. For four years, the line was always dead. Then he gets a message, call me immediately. He calls, and that same phone is alive. Anyway. So the book details Ms. Duan's appearance for disappearance rather four years ago and the shady business deals involving some of the top Chinese Communist Party figures that propelled her to become a billionaire and reportedly China's most wealthy woman. So she was tied in at the very top among the elite and it was the first Contact he'd received since she disappeared from the streets of Beijing in 2017 and came just hours after the first reviews of his book appeared in Western media. So this is what it looks like. If you run afoul of the Chinese authorities, number one, you get disappeared and she's still alive, obviously, but then her husband's going to come up with a come out with a book and within hours of the first reviews appearing in media. The Chinese communists were aware of it and got the s- imprisoned wife to get in touch with her ex-husband, begging him to drop the, uh, the project. Uh, a little more background. It's interesting.
1: Um, so it seems like a little late to, to, to try to pressure him.
0: Yeah, I guess they weren't aware of it. But, uh so this couple were deeply involved in several transformative and extremely lucrative developments in the Chinese capital, including at the airport, a giant hotel. They were tightly linked to China's elite, especially the wife of the former premier uh and her disappearance was always presumed to be political. She got disappeared too, and so they uh they interviewed this guy at time dot com the husband ex husband really but uh how was she when you spoke to her? She sounded okay. She said she had no news of the outside world over the last four years. She said, they've been lenient to me. They didn't treat me that badly. Yeah, what would you say if you're in the clutches of the comments Yeah, no kidding. And they're probably right next to you listening in. Of course, yeah. Then she asked me to stop the book, book launch saying, how would you feel if something happened to our son? And what would happen to our son if something happened to me? I took that to be a threat. Um... And then, uh, they talk about the relationship a little bit. I wrote the book as a gift to my son. It was only much later I decided to publish it. Um, do you feel safe in the UK? After all, China has renditioned people of interest from Thailand and other legal jurisdictions before it's outside its borders before. Yeah. Friends keep asking, do you have bodyguards? How's your security arrangements? But the reality is, that I'm one individual going out against a state like China. If they decide to do something, the little resistance I can put up with is not going to amount to anything, really. I signed my life away when I decided to publish this book. And then they ask, have you been surprised by the recent sweeping crackdowns of business executives like Jack Ma, who were previously thought of as, quote, untouchable? And he replies, these people were never untouchables. If you look at the list of the richest person in China, I think it's been published for over 20 years now. Most of them haven't done well. Maybe 40% ended up in jail, and 80% of them drop out of the list for whatever reason. Thinking that anybody is untouchable just for having money is a joke. Interesting. And then he says, uh, they ask, Xi Jinping launched a Tigers and Flies anti-corruption campaign. Did that affect the relationship you're describing in your book? And he says, "Listen, there are seven busloads of red aristocracy who are there watching a parade beside Xi Jinping. These people have no titles; they're just citizens. They make no particular contribution to society. The only reason they get invited and sit next to the president is bloodline." He talks about the the well, the bloodline elite in China and how it's utterly, utterly corrupt.
1: It really sounds like Louis Sixteenth stuff.
0: Armstrong and Getty.